So chapter 24, as you may already know, it is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. It's like 68 verses. Uh, We're not going to cover the entire chapter. Uh, I have split it up into two messages, and as we get into this morning's study, we're really, there's, there's two avenues that we're going to focus on. I mean, just really one is the display uh, that God brings, or the attention He draws to marriage, but then also prayer in that context as well. And the message I've entitled, Marriage, the Prayer, and the Bride. So, in August of 2014, Lifeway Right, they are a Christian retailer. It's where we get a lot of our uh, Bible resources for women's studies and things like that. They came out with a, uh, a study or a survey, if you will, and they found, this is back in 2014, that over 48% of Americans say they pray every day. And then you look at also another company, by that I don't believe they're a Christian company, they're, they're called the Pew Research Center. Maybe they are Pew, I don't know. Um, but they came up with a study, and they found that, <clears throat> excuse me, over 55% of Americans say they pray every day. So it's the same year, two different organizations. So I imagine the average, right, over half of Americans are saying they pray every day. Now, as I think about even in the context, because I got curious about prayer, especially in light of the pandemic and whatnot, and so I found some more research, and that same company, the Pew Research Center, found that that Americans' faith has grown by 24% during the pandemic. By contrasting, about 2% have actually waned during this. So that's a really good, really good number. Now, one of the things that was interesting to me is this whole uh, factor on prayer. In that same study from Lifeway in 2014, they surveyed over 1,100 Bible-believing Christians. And they asked them, basically, have you ever prayed for, and then they s- submitted all these different uh, scenarios, and these were like the top 10 of things that people prayed for. And so here's what, here's what we found, or they found. Have you ever prayed for people who mistreat you? 41% of people say, or Christians say, they prayed for people who mistreat them. 37% said they prayed for their enemies, 21% said they prayed for winning the lottery. Like, Lord, if you, you know, we'll bless our church, I promise, you know, whatever. 21% were praying, Lord, come on. Uh, 20% were praying for, for success and something you put almost no effort in. Like, Lord, I just want to coast through life, so just bless my efforts. Like, like that was just, <laughs> that's just a weird prayer. But all right, maybe, hmm. Anyways, 15% of those people said they prayed for something, like, like something bad they've done, hoping that no one would find out. So 15% are like, please, Lord, let nobody find out what's going on here. It's kind of scary, man. 14% were praying for vengeance. Like, they hurt me, Lord, get them. Like, 14, I mean, I guess in some ways, that's like being honest, right? Like, get them, Lord. <laughs> you know, David did it. Um, 13% said they prayed for their favorite team to win. So I always love, like, I would love to see, like, in the heavenlies, like, all these Christians praying for their Christians that are in their teams, and, like, all against, like, I don't know, Clarence, who's going to win? I don't know. So they're, you know, it's a wonderful life. Right, so they're praying, because that's where the realm of this is, I think, all these weird angel stuff, man. Um, 9% prayed for bad things to happen to a bad person. I probably have been there like, man, that's messed up, you know. Seven <laughs> percent prayed they would find a good parking spot. <laughs> like, how do you go to Costco? Like, Lord, please, up front. 
Not like, I want to leave all those open spaces so all the elderly and all those people can park out. No, no, no. I want the best spot right up front. Multiple trips, man. I would hide that toilet paper as soon as I can. Um, anyways. <laughs> 7% of those people prayed for not getting caught speeding. <laughs> like, Lord, please, I, I was just thinking, like, just download Waze. Waze will tell you where all the cops are at. <laughs> like, I'm just kidding. The modern day, like, never mind. No, I don't want to do that. Like, oh, really? Waze. <laughs> San Juan Island, like, app uptick on Waze. Okay. Um, 5% prayed for success in something they knew wouldn't please God. Well, oh, that's heavy, man. prayed for someone's relationship to end, 5% prayed for someone to get fired, and 4% prayed for someone else to fail. Like, that's heavy, man. That is so heavy. I mean, these are some real prayers that are going on. And I thought about that, and I brought this into it, because as, again, if you've read chapter 24, the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, you find that in there, in the middle of this book, there is this beautiful love story that unfolds in the middle of all this. And you'll find, like, there's one, I think one, we find a, a balance and a standing for what marriage is, but also the role of prayer in marriage. But I would also then apply it to our lives. There's some really great things that come about here. And as I think about marriage, especially, um, you know, praying, because one of the things I notice is no one in my mind, marriage is a very important, like, change of life. I mean, that's a huge decision, right? And I'm thinking, like, it's life-changing, not just for me as an individual, but for your spouse. It's life-changing, right? In many cases, you'll find, right, that, 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 that we're called to leave and cleave, right? We're to go and create a new family unit, and that is, you know, for life. And so my thought is, like, I was hoping that in reading some of this research that we would find that believers would be praying, like, I have prayed for my future spouse, or I have prayed for my marriage, but it's really not in there at all. So you would think there would be more, there would be some hint about it, especially when there are, you know, 1,100 believers, right? Now, again, it's not so much praying for a spouse as in, like, Lord, help me, I really need a wife badly. Not in that sort of form, although Paul says, right, like it is better to uh, marry than to burn, right? I don't mean prayers as in, Lord, bring her, Lord, or Lord, is that her? Is that her? Is that her? I mean, I have been guilty of that in Bible college my first semester, and the Lord was like, shh, focus. Like, you're here to study the Word. Okay, yes, Lord, right? I did that. And the Lord dealt with me on that, right? Until Anna came into the picture. But I mean... Praying for a future spouse, as in, Lord, may she be someone who loves you most of all. As in, Lord, prepare me for the life that I'm about to change as well. Lord, I pray that she is on the same page spiritually with me. Not just, is she a believer or is he a believer? I think that's just the first step. Like, that's, 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 that's a no-brainer, but sometimes we, we forget the next level. Is it, are they on the same spirit? page spiritually, like are they wanting like the Lord and to pursue the Lord? You know, a, a buddy of mine was really neat. He was, a, he was the best man in my marriage or in my wedding. Uh, his dad, Mr. Ogilvy, 
uh, this is where it kind of got me going, is he had like this list, and it was this old, like typed out. He was, an, he was a, t- a retired teacher, and he typed it out with a typewriter, and he had a list of all his children. And every time someone was born, he would add them to the list, and one of the things that he would pray for was their future spouse. Like did this from the time they were born, just praying for their, like, their walks with the Lord and, and the joining of families. And I thought that was pretty amazing, you know. And this morning, as, as I think about that, and as I've, I thought about even with my own kids and what that might look like, I love how in Genesis 24, we're going to see the interweaving of all those things. A demonstration of marriage and prayer and the love of a father for his son all wrapped in the middle of the will of God. But it's so much more than that. And then this message is going to be a part two message, right? Uh, Because there is just this beautiful picture that's laid out. But for now, as we go through that, let's look in verse 1, chapter 24, and just this first point, which is simply marriage. Marriage. Now, verse 1, it says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So by this time, you know, Abraham's already like 140 years old. Like he is old, right? Time is passing on. Um, Sarah had passed away. Uh, According to Genesis chapter 25, I think it's like verse 15, we find that Isaac by this time is already 40 years old. Like that's a good precedent. Like mothers and dads, like 40. Wait till they're 40. Wait till they're 40, then you marry them off. Like no, well, obviously, if you're living to 140, then maybe that's your 20s or something. Who knows? You know, but it's a good precedent. But here's what Abraham did. It's time to put things together. It's time to plan ahead. And so what does he do? He's sending his servant to go grab a wife for his son. I think that's another great precedent. Like, I think it would take so much pressure off. Like, girls, I know you're in your 30s. It's time for you girls to get married. So I'll be back. I'm going to go to the Bible college and go, look, I'll bring you the right guy. Like, don't trust me. (laughs) You know, ah, That's crazy. Greg sent me this. I thought this was really good. Greg sent me this earlier between uh, services, and it was a uh, an article he found on NBC News, and it was simply uh, talking about like today. Today there is still arranged marriages, and it said that that within arranged marriages, the divorce rate of arranged marriages is less than four percent, versus forty percent of marriages in the U.S. where partners choose who they want to marry. I thought that was an interesting thing. So I'm like, girls, look, there it is. There's facts. <laughs> I'm going to choose your spouse, man. <laughs> what a compliment it would be to each other's families, right? Or something. We'll know. But anyways, in that culture, obviously, finding a wife for Isaac was a big deal. It's not a small undertaking. And in this case, right, she had to be from someone of Abraham's family. Because remember, what's writing on this situation is we have Isaac, who would be, right, the father. I mean, Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. To him is promised the son of promise. And so whoever her, his partner was going to be was also going to be a part of that promise and all the things that God would do in and through him. So it was not a small deal to just like, hey, go out there and just see, like, see whoever catches your fancy. You know, it's none of that. Like, we're going to find you a wife. This is a serious matter before God. Now, again, again, I know it's not the same 
cultural practice that we have today, but the application, I think, for us today is, is really twofold, right, in that there is a seriousness to the thought of what marriage looks like, or entering into, I, want, I would like to say, a covenant, not a partnership, not for like the blending of two political families so that you would be a powerhouse later on, but for the seriousness of the covenant we're entering. And then obviously, trusting God is still applicable on this, right? So look what happens next as, as this unfolds. Verse 5, And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Look, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now, some commentators believe this servant could be Eliezer. If you remember back in Genesis 15, when it seemed like God's promises were wavering, you know, Abraham thought, well, like, surely the descendant or the heir of my family is Eliezer. And God says, no, 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 it shall not come from, you know, from your servant, but he will come from your own seed or your own loins, if you will. Uh, we don't know if it's Eliezer. He's been there for the long haul. But we find that throughout this chapter, the servant's name is never mentioned. And I really believe that as we get into the second part of this message, we find just some beautiful pictures that we're going to draw out next week in this, right, as we go through this story first for what it is. Now, Abraham makes it clear, man, this would be a match made in heaven. This whole match would have to be the Lord's doing. Now, it is interesting, though, even in this whole picture, we never hear of, like, Isaac saying, like, Dad, like, what are you doing? Like, he, there's no interjection, and I think part of that is that there is a sense of trust. There's a trust factor here, and that God is doing something, just like the way I think Greg pointed out. There was Isaac trusting the father as he lay there as an offering before the Lord. He trusted his father, Right? Now, before we move on, there is a strange gesture that's mentioned twice here in the scripture that's a little weird for some of us, for me included, right? The promise to uphold this mission, right? The servant, like making the solemn oath, uh, concluded with the servant putting his hand under the thigh of Abraham, which is really weird, right? Because they're not wearing Levi's jeans in those days. Right? If you think about their garb, you know, the servant had to come over and stick his hand under his thigh, which is, again, I think a little vulnerable, if anything, you know. But, but here, ancient Jewish commentators actually saw this as a euphemism for placing the hand under the male genital organs. Again, weird to us, but you got to remember, he was taking a solemn oath before the Lord. Right? This was no small deal, and the only way out was two ways. One was either he brought the bride, which we find is Rebecca, right? He brings the bride. Oh, I forgot about Operation Christmas Child. Okay, but I'll do it about later. Anyways, to bring the bride, or two, she's like, no way, Jose, 
I'm not going. I'm not going. That's the only way he was out of this situation, right? And so, so here he comes and he does this. And I think, you know, before these people, it's a big deal. Now, again, for us, it's weird, but why is it so important? And I think one for us, we have to translate it into a new covenant way of thinking or even into what it means to us as followers of Jesus. Because here, God is setting some precedents. And if anything, he's holding up, right, the seriousness once again of holy matrimony of marriage. I think to put it, you know, very frankly, I think the idea behind Abraham was like, we need someone from my family who's away from the Canaanites, who's, who's unfamiliar, at least in this, in this culture, in this neighborhood of these people who um, worship other gods. Because I think he understood, right? When you have two people coming together, one's worshiping the Lord, one doesn't, there's going to be some serious friction, and in some cases, the potential from falling away from the Lord. Super important. Well, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14 about relationships, especially in the realm of marriage. He says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Which is just a real quick side note there. I Just think about this transition that, that we follow today, right? At one point, the nation of Israel will find, they construct a temple, and they would go and worship the Lord at a specific location, right? To be in the very presence of God required them to go up to the mount, right? To the temple where God's presence was. But today in the new covenant and God wanting and desiring relationship with mankind, right? The spirit of God now lives in us. So we don't worship self, but the reality is, is it because of the spirit of God in us we can be anywhere to worship the Lord. That's why we could be like, okay, you know, hey, you should come to our church, Calvary. Well, isn't that the church that meets in that weird, like, like museum, like the Pigwar Museum? Is that really a church? Yes. Why? Because it's not the building. It's the people gathered there together that have the Spirit of God in them. And when you think about this, this ups the stakes. For us as followers of Jesus, we have the Spirit of God who's been put in us, and He is, right, the seal that calls us adopted children of God, right? We are sons and daughters of Christ. And so here, the idea behind this is don't be in close, intimate relationship with someone who doesn't believe in God, especially in the area of marriage. I mean, this would speak really of your most deepest, closest, like, relationships, right? The, the, the people that you're sharing your heart and soul with, whether it be, like, really good, like, this is, like, my best friend. Here, the Bible's making it clear, you know, they should be also followers of Jesus, let alone, like, in the marriage relationship with you who have the Spirit of God in you, right, are going to be joined, made one flesh with someone else, right, the closest relationship, right, because marriage is the closest relationship you will ever have outside of your relationship with Jesus. And so it needs to be two followers of Jesus coming together, sharing, like, in the spirit and worship of God. Right? On speaking of sex outside of marriage, this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.15. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. And this is like the important key here. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. One spirit with him. And I, and I believe it's part of even the precedent that Abraham is setting. I think one for the calling of Isaac. But two, I think for something for us today in 2021, right, something that's been a part of our heritage for thousands of years later, it's something that Abraham is putting on display here and reminding us, right, of the good that God has for us in, that, in this regard. It's a good reminder to us. It's, it's a challenge for us, especially for those who are desiring to be married. I would say be patient. God sees and knows your desires, and he has your best interests at heart. And I, I would add this caveat, right? And I've heard it said, and it, and it is such a, 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 again, even like a chastisement against me, that the goal of Christianity is not to get married. I know it's exciting, especially for us, especially as we get older, and, and we, we're around like young people, and we just, we begin to love these young people, and we think like, oh man, like, like Joe and Anna, they would be perfect together. Like, like let's just like, like, oh, hey, we're going to have this big party. Oh, look, it's just Joe and Anna who showed up. Oops, sorry. And then they all leave. You know what I mean? It's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? That's like, no, you don't know what the Lord has in store. Marriage is not the goal of Christianity. It's a picture of it, but it's not the goal. And for the married, I believe today, right now, it's a good reminder for us who are married right now to be reminded of this solemn oath, right, that we took before God. It's still valid and just as important to God today as much as it was on the day you said, I do, for the first time in front of God, family, and friends. And I know it's scary, right? There, there is a challenge today. And, and, and again, and I know I'm not covering all the bases, right? There, marriage is messy. We live in a fallen world, right? And so I know there's all these different areas and things that are going on, but we're looking first and foremost simply at the heart of God for marriage and in this way. But sadly, there is a trend today in today's culture, right, where, where man, when we got married, that was, like, that was like 25 years ago. I'm just not the same person I was 25 years ago. We've changed and all, and there's all these kinds of like things that come up. And the reality is, I think it's a lot of times it's because we, we, we forget that there is a goal in marriage. And by and large, I'm finding it, it isn't to make me happy. It isn't like Anna's goal in life is not to make me happy. My goal in life is not to make Anna happy. My goal as a follower of Jesus in my marriage relationship is to allow God to change me and make me holy and knowing that she's going to be the primary person that God uses aside from anyone else and vice versa. God wants us holy. And we'll find out why that is because of just this beautiful picture that we're going to find that comes out from this beautiful chapter here. So there's what God deals with marriage. And that's the idea he sets up. We're going to come back to it next week. But in the meantime, let's continue on in the story because there is some beautiful aspects of prayer that we find here. And I think some things that we can take away today as we look at how the servant responds to his mission, right? So look at verse 10 prayer. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. So he's obviously a trustworthy servant. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. 
And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, in the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord, God of my master, Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master, Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Man, this guy was on a mission. Now, as I said, again, in this culture, it's not uncommon, right, for arranged marriages in those days, especially when we think about like tribal marriages and all the things that were going on. You know, that's why they had dowries, right? If you're going to marry my daughter, like you better pay me, right? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to debilitate like my family. And if it's the son right? Oftentimes they would be the next leader uh, and they would receive the inheritance and all these things are a part of it. So it would become like this family affair. And so the choosing of a wife became an important, important situation, especially in this regard. So, so, and I think about like, this would have been a very long and dangerous journey, but we don't hear anything about that other than getting to the mission in hand. And look what he does. As soon as the servant gets to the destination, what does he do? Man, he prays. Like before he acts, before he does anything else, like he knows, like, like obviously the Spirit of God is leading him. He took an oath before the Lord. He took an oath before Abraham. So the next thing that, that just comes in his heart is, man, I need to pray. To pray without ceasing. To pray. I mean, that, that's what he's doing there. It almost seems crazy, right? Especially the way he prayed. But there's no way around it. He would not act until he prayed. He wouldn't move until he prayed, and he prayed specifically. This is exciting, because he wasn't testing the Lord per se. He was actually putting up human roadblocks that were achievable so that he would know that God was in this. I mean, look at the three things that were involved. As you read over his prayer, you glance over it. He prayed for someone who was hospitable, and for someone who had a servant's heart, right? I mean, someone who was not self-centered, and lastly, he prayed believing, he prayed believing that God would answer his prayer. Like there was a sense of like expectation, like God is going to do this. Like God is going to answer this. And I love this. It's such an important aspect, especially he sets the president for something so important and, and so life-changing that the initial thought is I need to pray. And, and I would say, like, even just as a pastor right now, I cannot overemphasize the need for prayer today. The patient, believing, specific prayer of the church is needed so much today. If the church is going to have any kind of impact on the world around us today, it has to begin in prayer. Now, listen, not just corporately prayer, like corporate prayer, as in like church gather. Like, I love that and I want that and I would desire to see, right, that the prayer service on Monday nights is just as much attended as the Sunday morning service. But it goes so much beyond that. Really, it's, it's the church scattered praying in whatever arena God has placed you in. So many times we have it the other way around, right? We act we do, we say, we decide ever before we engage God in prayer. Like it's so true. And, and again, I have been guilty of it for sure. 
But I think there is a call and, and even like an example of like, man, marriage, it's important. Let's pray. But the, again, that was the heart, I think, behind Paul of praying without ceasing, which is really a sense of practicing like an ever, uh, just being in the, in the presence of God continually. And I would challenge you to pray as a church throughout your day to the point where you look like a crazy man. I mean, I love, and again, I'm not, I, I guess, I had to be careful about movies, but Greg reminded me of this. I love it. Do you remember Braveheart? Like, have you seen the movie Braveheart? And there's the crazy guy who was like always praying all the time. And he was like, Father, I'm here to protect, you know, he was just like, he's like nuts. And they thought he was nuts until like he was in step, like protecting William Wallace. Maybe, I don't know if that was like in the true story of it, but he was definitely in the movie story. And I'm just like, man, let's pray to the point that people think you're crazy. Not for show, but in the sense of just like being in tune with what God wants to do. On many occasions, our prayers are not specific. You know, for maybe for Sprouse, we're just praying like, Lord, Lord, if she even looks at the direction of where our church is, like, okay, that's the one. Or, you know, like something weird, right? Like, Lord, I'm just, you know, I'm just praying for something. Do something. But I think when, we, when, we, when we're talking about prayer and specific prayer and believing prayer, I think what happens is from the littlest things to the biggest thing, prayer engages God on so many levels in that we are asking Him for direction. We're believing He knows best. So we pray with open hands and we believe that by faith that our lives matter to God. We believe that God's way is better than ours and we're believing that God has the answers. And here's the cool part, and we get to be a part of it at times. Prayer. Be specific and believe God will answer. But above all things, pray. Pray. Especially when I, when I, when I talk about, you know, marriage, marriages. You know, I, and again, it's messy. Life is crazy. But one of the things I've made it a point to do, because I don't always pray with Anna every single day. Not every single day. Um, you know, our lives are crazy and we got kids, like, from four to 19, and so there's a lot of things to be like thinking about in that span of kids. But one thing I've always made it a point, and this is just for me, right, is that oftentimes when I'm leaving the house, she's still asleep, and so I'll just pray over her. I'll just pray. I give her a kiss, and this is probably embarrassing, especially if she's watching online, because she's off island today. I give her a little kiss on the forehead, which she never remembers, um, and then I just pray for her. Just pray. Because I know, I know God wants to speak to me like through her, you know, and, and I want to be in a place where I'm lifting my family up in prayer. Marriage is hard, right? Relationships are hard. And I just, I just, you just see that. And, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I definitely think it's a way for the Lord to remind us of the importance of prayer, especially within the marriage context. Well, look what happened in verse 15. And it happened before he had finished, oh, I love this. And it happened before he had finished speaking before he even finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Basically, this was Isaac's cousin. I know some of you are like, that's not an answer to prayer. <laughs> like, that's not, like, that's his cousin. Well, again, culture, thousands of years ago, this was legit, okay? So now, the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. 
And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And so she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. I love this. Even before he was done praying, like the Lord is on the move. I I just think sometimes we miss out, right? Like God wants to answer our prayers, but we don't pray. And then here in these avenues, we just see these examples and just this challenge to be engaged in prayer because sometimes God wants to answer these prayers even before they're done being spoken. But oftentimes we miss out because we just haven't said like, Lord, here it is. Like, what do you want to do, Lord? Obviously, there's very something specific that God was doing. But here, I love how the servant was still like, "Mm, but we don't know yet if this is the guy. I love how there was just this, I'm going to watch first. Like, I'm going to check this thing out first, right? He definitely was on the right track, and he could sense the leading of God's Spirit. But here, here is the beauty of specific prayer, okay? It helps remove the doubt. It helps remove the doubt. Look, as I said earlier, marriage is hard. Taking giant steps of faith is hard. But the beauty of answered specific prayer is it gives you an anchor to hold on to during the stormy times of life, right? I mean, think about this. Like, like God, are you sure this was the man I was supposed to marry? And when it's very specific and when those prayers are specific, God can be like, hey, here's exhibit A. Like, here's what God, here's what I spoke. Here's what my word said. Here's that thing that I gave you. God, are you sure we were supposed to be moving on? Are you sure this was the move to make? And and because those doubts will come. Even when when we've stepped out in faith, those doubts are going to come. But it is so sweet when you've actually had specific prayers that we can look back on and know. And know that this is from the Lord. You know, I, you know I, I kid you not, like 14 years ago, Right when God called us here to San Juan Island from uh, um, from San Antonio, Texas, I had no idea. I had no idea actually what I was getting into. I was 31 years old at the time. I'm 46 now. Right, I was 30. I had no idea. I was like, yes to the Lord, you know. And I, now I look back 14 years, and it's been harder than I ever thought it was going to be. It's been as painful as I ever thought it was going to be, but it's also been as awesome as I never thought it was going to be. It's just been amazing. But here, here's just like one little anchor that the Lord gave us, I remember. And, and just even revealing to us, as we were praying and seeing, like, Lord, is this truly, like, Lord, we want to know. You know, and there's always a step where God's not going to give it to you all. But as we began, began praying, we just began asking the Lord to do things. And one of the sweet things, you know, that he did was, was like, Lord, we need a house. There's no way we could uh, afford a house. I mean, we were young. We're just starting out. The house that we were uh, renting at the time was like maybe 600 bucks, if that, you know, there in San Antonio. And I was just like, Lord, you got to find a place for us. Like, I'm, I'm, looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at all the realties things online, and this is crazy. There's just no way. And I remember the elders said, hey, we found a house for you to rent. I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, and I'm just, you know, he's, he's like, well, you know, it's this much. And I'm like already freaking out because it's like 50, 60% higher than what we were used to paying. 
was like, well, send me the information and we'll call. And so I'm like, okay, so we're praying and I, and I call the realtor and I'm talking to this guy here from the island. And then he's like, you know what? I'll tell you what, why don't you just talk to the owner? Like, because I was just asking questions. He just talked to the owner. So he gives me, I'm in San Antonio, Texas. He gives me uh, the phone number for the owner of the house. And I'm like, well, this is strange. It's like a, it's a San Antonio area code. That's weird. And so I called the guy. I forget the guy's name now. It's like a long time ago. I was like, hey, so we're looking at your house. And, da, da, da. and he's like, well, where are you at? I was like, I'm in San Antonio, Texas. And he was like, oh, like where in San Antonio? Well, I'm over here by uh, Live Oak Civic Center off 1604. He's like, really? And, he, and I was like, yeah. He goes, where at? I'm like, you know where the Mr. Gaddy's is? There's a Calvary Chapel. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll be there in 15 minutes. I was like, what? It's like the guy shows up to the church, sits down, listens to me and says, this is good. Don't, you know, and he just worked out this amazing deal for us and everything. And I can tell you how many times, like we have just looked back, like, no, this was the Lord. And when it was hard, we could just, it was an anchor. It was an anchor to look back and just patiently and waiting. And I just believe that oftentimes in prayer, God wants to do that. If we're willing to trust God and be very specific about our prayer, God wants to give us anchors that we can hold on to. Because those difficult days, they will come. They will come. And here, the servant had to know that this was from the Lord. He had to know that when he went back to Abraham, he could say, this was from the Lord. And here's how I know. And God was answering his prayer. And that God was answering his prayers. Look at the, look at the cool thing, verse 22. We're going to finish up here real quick. So it was when the camels had finished drinking, all 10 camels, right, with probably 20-gallon tanks each, right, when all the camels had finished drinking, the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist, weighing 10 shekels of gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And so she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household all these things. Man, it's crazy. Even then, I love this about the servant. He didn't just trust the signs, which would become his anchors later. He needed to make sure that it lined up with the word of his master. What's another anchor of answered prayer? It lines up with God's word. Answered prayer will never contradict God's word. Right? In Romans 12, 2, it says that, that we're not to be conformed to this world, right? But we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Being in God's word, being prayerful, right? This man was a man of integrity, right? He was going to bless her and give her rings and stuff because, I mean, that was hard work, but he wasn't going to celebrate until he knew that God had truly answered his prayer. And what was the final thing? That she was from the family of Abraham. And once that happened, what did he do? Man, he worshiped. He worshiped the Lord right there in the middle of the streets to the point where she was like, whoa, and she runs home. Hey, mom, look at this guy who gave me a nose ring. I don't know how many parents would celebrate that, but the family was like, whoa, this guy's wealthy. We'll figure out, we'll see why when this other character comes into the response. But listen, this is so good. 
The fact remains that when God answers prayer, the right response is always worship. Don't forget to worship the Lord. Answered prayer, if it is truly from God, will always drive you to God, not away from Him. Not away from Him. I can't believe how many times over the years I've seen people, man, the Lord answered this prayer, the Lord answered this prayer, and it has just taken them away from the Lord. It has just taken them away from the things of God and even in their relationship. Answered prayer, if it's truly from the Lord, will not contradict God's Word. But don't forget to worship. Don't forget to worship. Now again, the marriage, the prayer, and the bride, they're all intertwined in such a beautiful way. And we're going to find out next week that it's more than just a beautiful love story. And in fact, it paints a beautiful picture of the Father sending the Son into this world, dying for you and for me, going back to the right hand of the Father, and sending the Spirit of God to then draw His church unto Himself. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're thinking about these things about marriage, as we're thinking about prayer. We're going to meet with the Lord this morning. We're going to respond. And, and maybe this morning, it's an opportunity for you to maybe pray for your marriage. It's an opportunity, opportunity for you to maybe repent, right? Of not like holding up your marriage in the way God had intended. Maybe it's asking God just to do a work of restoration. But maybe it's simply even too, just in the realm of prayer, of like trusting the Lord. For, and challenging us as, as, as followers of Jesus, right, to grow in our faith by, be very, by being very specific and, and being patient about how God wants to answer those prayers. He always wants to do a work in us, always. But this morning, all this is wrapped in this thing that we get to participate in this morning, and that's communion. See, the Spirit of God was to draw the church into relationship. And this morning, we're going to celebrate that that we now, because of the Spirit of God, we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. So let's pray. Let's meet with the Lord as we prepare for communion this morning.